0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, we're in a series called Be the House, and our vision, I think everyone knows it by now, we've been saying it for weeks. Uh, but it's is who we've always been, but it's really our focus this year. Made it as simple as we can. It's just three words. If you'd say it with me, that would be awesome. And it's make Jesus known. Make Jesus known. We want to allow people to understand who Jesus is and what he's all about and to recognize that he's already at work. And we think about people we're coming in contact with all the time. We don't have to do the work for Jesus. We pretty much have to point to what he's already doing. This is Jesus. He's at work in our lives, in our community, in our world. And in the series called Be the House from Ezra and Nehemiah, there's three things. There's three key themes that we've been talking about. And every week I want to remind us of those because I think it's so important that we understand that God is firmly in control. I don't know about how this week went for you, but you may have wondered at that a few times. God is firmly in control. And secondly, that God works through His people to accomplish His purpose. Not only is God in control, but He has a role for you. That's a stunner for me. The God of the universe would say to me, I have a role for you. And I want you to be at work with me to accomplish my purpose. And finally, that God uses His word to convict and to encourage. I need both of those two things. I really do. I I need for him to convict me and say, see, this is where you're messed up. Now, some of you may want to see me later and share some things with me where you think I'm messed up, but I'm grateful that when I open God's word, he is faithful to say, this is where I need to convict you. Let me ask you, does that feel good to you? To say, Jesus, I want you to convict me. Does that give you a level of comfort that he loves you that much? I want to convict you so that you can repent, and I want to encourage you. I want you to know the joy of Jesus. I want you to know the joy of your salvation. I I want to encourage you that Jesus came to die for you and that he has an incredible, incredible opportunity for you. So that's what we're talking about during these weeks in this early part of 2021. Today, the title of the message is, If Not Now, When? If Not Now, When? My dad would always tell the story of his business that when he was uh, in his late 40s, when I was in college, his company that he worked for just went away, ceased to exist. It's probably happened to some of you. The job just evaporated. Here's my dad in his late 40s saying, well, should I go look for another job, another company? Or should I do what I've always wanted to do, which was to start my own business? And he went to my, my mom, who is, um, let's just say, somewhat risk-averse. Um, and you would be surprised that she would take a risk like this. And she said, honey, if not now, when? If you don't do it now, when, when would be a better time than to do it right now? I love that about my mom that she stood up at this time of uncertainty and said, Dad, Bill, go ahead and do it. And he did. And God blessed it. Matter of fact, that business is still going on today, and it's amazing what God did through my dad, if not now, when? You know, in COVID, it can make a lot of things need, kind of seem to feel like they need to be on hold. Oh, we'll do that when things get better. We'll do that when things normalize. I'll get more involved when they I just got to hold back because of COVID. I-, I just can't do that now because I just got to wait till COVID's over and things normalize. I love what church consultant and author Tom Rainer said. He said, COVID is it's not an interruption. It's a disruption. It's not just an interruption that stops things and things are going to go right back to normal. Rather, it disrupts things And things may never be the same, and maybe they shouldn't be. We think about the church. When COVID happened, we didn't stop being the church. We just had to figure out different ways of doing church. We just had to figure out different ways of connecting with each other, different ways of being faithful to the call, the gospel call. It's a very dangerous thing to say, well, it's not yet time. It's not time to do that. We need to figure out what does God want us to do? You know, we've we've all figured out how to do stuff differently, haven't we? You know, at the height of COVID, when everything was closed, people found ways to eat. They found ways to get groceries. They found ways to do what really mattered. If not now, when? When I was 39, most of you know, I, I had a corporate job. Things were good. Lived in a great place. A lot of family around. I thought, really, I wanted to do ministry, but I thought, really, let me just work another 10 or 12 years, Lord, and I, I could early retire, and then I have lots of time to do all kinds of great ministry. And I would tell God this until one day I spent some time in a personal spiritual retreat, which I recommend, incidentally. I spent a day on a river in Missouri, and God got a hold of me, and He said, Now's the time. Not 10 or 12 years from now. Now's the time. I want you to join me in vocational ministry now. If not now, when? And I'm asking all of you the same question. As God calls us to follow him, as he calls us to be the house, to be the place that people connect with Jesus, if not now, when? And as we're looking at Ezra chapter 4, ask yourself the question, what's holding me back? Is there anything holding me back and saying, I really want to wait till later, or I'm not ready yet? I don't know. Whatever it is, I want to ask you, if not now, when? Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Ezra chapter 4. Remember where we're at in the whole history of Israel? God created this amazing nation, created out of the seed of Abraham, went to Egypt, wound up getting oppressed. God had to rescue them. And let me just touch on that for just a moment some people would say well why did they get oppressed in Egypt did they did they fail did they sin How, why did they why were they wind up in Egypt and found themselves in oppression and let me give you a really good and clear answer no one knows no one knows there isn't any real evidence of sin God sent Joseph before them remember And they prepared the the land for the big famine that was coming. And and God prospered the people. They found themselves in oppression. Let me just tell you, you may find yourself in an oppressive state. And it may not have been because of sin. It happens in our world. It's the result of other sin. Result of the sin of Pharaoh in this case. So you find yourself in situations. You're like, I didn't deserve the situation. You may not have, honestly. God still wants to rescue. Not now. When? God rescued them, brought them across the the wilderness, brought them into the land, conquered the land through Joshua, David, built this incredible nation, beautiful temple built by Solomon. Things were great until they weren't. And they found themselves drifting further and further and further from the one true God, falling deeper into idolatry, just a constant pattern of sin, constantly not... Honoring the one true God. So God caused them to fall into exile by the Assyrians for the northern kingdom and Babylonia for the southern kingdom. They found themselves in exile. And God left them there to rot. No, no, he didn't. Aren't you glad? God doesn't leave his people out there to rot. No, God... Stirred up their hearts to return. He stirred up the heart of a king, a pagan king, to send them back to rebuild the temple. And they came back, 50,000 of them anyway, came back and they began to restore the worship of the altar. And they began to, they laid the foundation of the temple and they kind of got started. And then something happened. They got discouraged. They got discouraged. The people around them began to discourage them. We talked about this last week. These were people that were sent in to resettle the land after Assyria and Babylon took over and exiled the people. They began to discourage them. They didn't want the one true God worshiped for who he was. And that's where we are today. Ezra chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says this. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build... And bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. There's an intentional campaign of discouragement against God's people. Ever experienced that? There's an intentional thing of saying, hey, listen, this is a bad idea. This isn't good for the land. Matter of fact, they even wrote a letter to the king uh, that this letter is actually later than this time, but it's an example of how um, aggressive they were to shut him down. They said, hey, listen, if you let them build this temple, if you let them worship the one true God, here's what's going to happen. They won't pay taxes, they're going to become rebellious, and you're going to lose the land. You're going to lose this part of your kingdom. Very, very harsh criticism. But you know what? They should have expected it, right? Sometimes we see people, God's people, be discouraged by people who want to discourage them. And and it, it feels like it's kind of a surprise. Listen, ever since God's people came into existence, Ever since Jesus came on this earth and started to raise up disciples, there have been many who said, that's a bad idea and tried to discourage God's people. So we need to always expect discouraging opposition when we're building and being the house of God. Shouldn't be a surprise. It's something to be expected. It happens all the time. It happens. And they got discouraged And in verse 24, we see what happened. It says, Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Faced opposition, they said, You know what? I think think we just need to quit for a while. I think we need to wait till this opposition goes away and dies down to a better time. I think we just need to stop this. See, opposition makes us want to quit to fade into the fabric of the the community. They didn't move back to Babylon, to their credit. They stayed in the area of Jerusalem, but they stopped being the house. Remember what God had done. God had stirred up in them to make this risky and expensive move all the way across the the wilderness into uh, Jerusalem, and they began to build, and they had had made this big commitment, but they said, you know what, we're discouraged. I think we need to stop now. I think we need to quit. And that's what opposition wants to do. It wants you to stop. To stop being the representative of Jesus. To stop being the the house, the connection between people and God. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. But Don't you love it that God didn't leave them there? Verse 1 of chapter 5. If you feel distant from him right now, know that just being here today is a good sign. See, God doesn't leave us distant from him, comfortably distant from him. Ezra 5.1 says this, Now, and this is after 16 years, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So God sent prophets to talk to them to say to them what they needed to do. And here's what Haggai said in Haggai 1, verses 2 through 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Pause there. Yeah, you know, it's just not the right time. It's not good. Let's wait till another time. Let's just pause. Let's just wait. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while the house, while this house lies in ruins? That's what he's saying. Is it is it time for you to live in really paneled houses? In those days, would have been a luxury, big luxury. Houses are built of mud bricks, probably, possibly stone, um, but to put paneling in them. Remember, if you know your your history of of King David well, he said, "Why should I live in a cedar paneled house?" While my God is worshipped in a tent. And he said, I want to build this house. I want to build the temple. But God says, I want your son. You lay out the plans. I want your son Solomon to build the temple. But David had a heart because if he, he recognized the, the luxury he was living in. He wanted God's house to be glorified. And here's Haggai saying to the people, Do you yourselves dwell in these paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. In other words, you've put your luxury ahead of worship. You've put your luxury ahead of God. That ever happened today? We put our comfort maybe ahead of worship of Jesus? The 16 years it had been since they laid the foundation of the temple, and they stopped, and they made themselves comfortable in the place they lived. Verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And as we look at at verse 6, does this sound at all familiar in your own life? You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bad hold you ever been there? You know, I'm working harder, but I just don't seem to be more satisfied or getting ahead. I, I, I really focus on food and, the, and, and how to make better food and good food, and I become a foodie, but really I'm still hungry, and it really doesn't satisfy me. I, I've been to drink, and whatever kind of drink you drink, and maybe you drink a lot of water, and you're just really still thirsty, maybe spiritually thirsty. Buy more clothes, different clothes, better clothes. It still doesn't satisfy you. And when you earn wages, it just seems to fall out of your pocket, putting it in a place that can't be held. So that's how God described those who have set aside worship, have set aside making Jesus in our case, in their case, God, Yahweh, number one, and making that the most important thing, the, the focus of life. He says life becomes very unsatisfying, unfulfilling, and even frustrating. See, living in a paneled house is never fulfilling when worship has been abandoned. Living in a nice place, having good things, nothing wrong with that. But when we set aside worship and we quit being the house, being the connection between God and people, we're never going to be satisfied. It's always going to be uncomfortable, and we're never going to be fulfilled. But God loves us far too much to leave us that way. God loves us far too much to allow us to live comfortably distant from Him and His purpose. See, when God convicts us and says, listen, you're missing me. You're missing the opportunity to worship me. You're you're missing out. It's His love that does that. It says, I want you to be close to what really matters. I don't want you to be comfortable and not have me. That's not a loving God. A loving God says, I want you to have me instead of just being comfortable away from me. True comfort only comes in the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Lord. The psalm says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. So what do they do? They've been told. They've been, God has sent his man his men, to speak to them. Verse 2 of chapter 5 of Ezra says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And then in verse so they start to rebuild. They say, all right, you're right. We need to get after it. We need to go ahead and focus on worship again and rebuild this house. So they start the process. They don't ask for permission and then the government officials, a guy named Tatanai, shows up and says, wait a minute, what right do you have to do this? What right do you have to go ahead and build this temple here in Jerusalem? And their reply in verse 11 of chapter 5, this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are re- rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Pause there. Notice what they say. Listen, we're just doing what God stirred us up to do. We're just doing what the God of heaven and earth stirred us up to do. It's so important when you're asked the question, why are you doing what you're doing? To appeal to the God of heaven. This this is what I must do. This is, this is what the Bible says. This is what I'm told to do, and I'm going to be faithful in living out my life the way the Bible tells me to live. Verse 12, it says, But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. Notice what they say. They don't say, and because our people have always been right because we've always done the right thing, because we've always been faithful. This is why we're doing it. No, no. They give an honest answer. Listen, the reason we need to rebuild is we've been unfaithful. The reason we need to rebuild this house is because our fathers were unfaithful to our God, and that's why we got hauled off into exile. You know, honesty is awesome when you're defending the faith. Sometimes we're, we want to say, "Hey, hey, I'm so perfect and you're not." Where so they said, "Listen, we've struggled, but we're returning." It's like saying, "You know what? I, I'm not perfect, but I'm repentant, right?" I am not saying that you can find fault in my life. You certainly can, but I want to live a repentant life, and I want to come back to my God. And then he so they they appeal to history. They appeal to, uh, they're honest about where they are and what their history has been. And in verse 13, they come back to what their legal right is, verse 13. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus, the king, made a decree that this house should be rebuilt. And they go on to describe that decree. They say, look, we're, just, we're doing what the king ordered us to do as well. We have a reason for doing what we're doing. So they appeal to the god, of heaven and earth, they 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 point out their own their own problems and they also appeal to what they are legally allowed to do. I love, I love that defense of how they're living. Where was that sixteen years ago when they were discouraged? It's important to know why you're doing what you're doing and to give an accurate and a credible response to those who would say, I don't understand why you're living this way. See, when you are the house, when you're being the connection, the Holy Spirit-filled vessel, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face those who discourage, who want to discourage you. We need to be ready to give a credible reason. This is why I do what I do. Some of our men and I are reading a book called Persuasive Apologetics, and if you're interested, I can help you get a copy of that book. But just helps you give a good answer. Sometimes we wonder, I don't have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers, but you need to have some. You need to know why I believe what I believe. And you need to share it in a very persuasive but loving way. You don't need to make people feel bad. We just need to share this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's what they did here in Ezra chapter 5. And so as a result, they build the temple. Tatanai writes his letter off to the king. The king sends a letter back saying, Yeah. You need to finish the temple. You need to go ahead and be faithful and finish the temple. And so that's exactly what they do. So our question today is for you and for me, if not now, when? Has something happened to stop you? Has there been maybe somebody in your life who's discouraged you, maybe wronged you? Something that's caused you not to, to worship jesus and by that i mean something that's caused you to not say jesus i love you you are amazing to not put him first to not be the connection between he and the people around you there's something that's got in the way it could be COVID. it could be uh, the political differences in our nation could be just challenges of life has something caused you to not be the house What is that? You see, when God's people who are called to be his representatives aren't his representatives, they wind up living a life that is unfulfilling and frustrating. They sow a lot, they don't reap much. Prepare a lot of food, still hungry. Have a lot of drinks, still thirsty. Wear a lot of different clothing, are still cold. And it seems like their pockets have holes in them constantly. Are you there? Are you there? See, if not now, when? Will you be the house? Will you be the house? You see, the stakes are incredibly high. Our time is, is ebbing away quickly. And there are people around you who need to know the God of heaven and earth. They need to know Jesus the only way, the exclusive way to life after death. They need to know that. The stakes are high. If not now, when? I want to urge you. Worship Jesus. So see what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Simply acknowledge that He is God. Repent of any known. anything that you know displeases Him. In a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take these elements to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I needed you to die for me. I needed you to give your body and your blood for me. And I repent of all known sin. I know I'm not perfect, but today I don't want to be that way anymore. I worship you as the one who saved me. And the one who has made a way. Because he's the way maker. He's the one who makes a way for us to be the house for people around us. Worship Jesus and build relationships, build friendships with those around you. That's really the simple way of saying the greatest commandments ever, right? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbors yourself. Worship Jesus, build relationships, build friendships with those around you. Be the house and remember Jesus. Before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples and he gave them something to remember him by. Because he knew they would be discouraged. They would be all confused about what was about to happen. and They wouldn't really know how to respond, but he told them, I want you to remember me by taking this bread, taking this cup, because the bread is my body and the cup is my blood. It's poured out for you that I, Jesus, gave my life for you. I want you to remember me and be the house. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry, we cry